always helps if I have my microphone on whenever I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. I do want to thank Paul Packabush for preaching last week. I understand he did a great job. Appreciate him so very, very much. Uh, Ephesians 4, we're continuing our journey through the letter from the Apostle Paul to this church at Ephesus. You know, a few things in life make people more nervous than going to the dentist. How many of you guys like going to the dentist? I mean, there's several reasons for it. First of all, it's a personal invasion. You have somebody sticking their hands in your mouth, and I'm just not really a huge fan of that. I know you probably aren't as well. It can be a little bit scary. They use metal hooks to clean your teeth. They they uh, have drills and smoke comes out of your mouth as you're sitting there watching them do their work. And they have you ever noticed they have like these three foot long needles for their shots? I mean, every place else where you go and you get a shot, it's like, you know, it's in, it's out, no big deal. But at the dentist, it's like they put it in there and then they kind of navigate it this way and this way and this way. And it's just like this major ordeal just to get the, the shot in you. And I don't know about you, but the first shot never works for me enough. You know, I always have to get the second shot afterwards. And, and then also sometimes people feel like it can be judgmental. Like you're going to hear the sentence come down at some point. You need to brush more. Uh, You're eating too many sweets. You have been sentenced to a root canal. And and so we have this this aversion to it because it, it feels as though we might face judgment. And so there's several results of this. The first result is that in Texas, only 58.2% of the people go to the dentist each year. Now here's the second result. There is a lot of tooth decay in Texas because of that. The culture that we live in today is filled with a lot of truth decay. Uh, It's filled with a lot of anger. And when people get angry, the truth often gets distorted. And eventually, you can't even remember what it is that you were angry about in the first place. Those of you that are Married? Have you ever had a have ever had this happen in a fight with your spouse? Now, some, some someone's here and they're like, "Well, Pastor, <laughs> we never fight. <laughs> We're the Brady Bunch." Okay, well, for the rest of us, all right, uh, you get in some type of disagreement, emotional discussion, whatever you want to call it, with your spouse, and and after talking for about thirty minutes, you're like, "Whoa." How did we get started on this? I mean, what were we even talking about in the first place? And, and like the more, the more anger begins to, to take charge of the conversation, the more you forget about the truth of the conversation that, that you began with. Angry environments eventually lead to apathy. Eventually we withdraw from what's really important, and we start making things that don't really matter, really important. And so I, I want to submit to you that in all the anger that is in our society today, a lot of people are simply withdrawing, withdrawing from the truth and living in worlds of apathy. And because of this withdrawal from anything being true, We find ourselves as a culture 
with a truth decay problem. Well, our passage today in many ways speaks to this. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, here's what the Word of God says. Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now, today I want to wrestle with three questions that I believe we can deal with in the text. The first is this. What's the big deal about lying? The second question, does moral truth even exist? And the third question, in a world filled with anger and truth decay, what's a Christian to do? So let's begin with the first question. What's the big deal about lying? Well, if you look at verse 25, Paul is writing to Christians, and he says, he says, since you put away lying, you have removed it, you have put it away whenever you are in Christ, lying is no longer what you wear, he says, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. UMass psychologist Robert Feldman did an experiment, and he found that in a 10-minute conversation that 60% of people will tell a lie in that 10-minute conversation. And of those that tell lies, they average two to three lies within the conversation. Dr. Gina Scott, the author of The Truth About Lying, says that 91% of people lie in their life. They lie on a regular basis. And that we average uh, 13 major lies a week. For women, she observed, that they tend to lie in order to try to make someone else feel better. Your hair looks great. It really looks awful. But But they tend to lie in order to try to make somebody else feel better. And men tend to lie to make themselves look better. How big was that fish you caught? You know, you're trying to make yourself look better. Well, what's the big deal? Lying is the opposite of integrity. And when someone lies to you with their words, they will also lie to you with their actions. And truth decay reveals a deeper problem that there is something still alive in your heart that is wrestling against the Spirit of God? Question two. Is there such a thing 
as moral truth. Well, in verse 25, the Bible speaks to it as an assumption. The Scriptures say, since you have put away lying, speak the truth. So the Bible makes this assumption, and it's, a, it's an assumption that is made throughout all the Scriptures that there is such a thing as truth. And as believers, we are commanded to speak the truth. And it says that each one is to speak the truth to his neighbors because we are members of one another. In other words, we are speaking the truth in order to help one another, not because we, we care about one another within the church. Now, there are many in our culture that say, this verse is impossible. You can't speak the truth, each one to his own neighbor, because there's a lot of people in our culture that say, there's no such thing as moral truth. So when you're talking about someone's lifestyle, when you're talking about someone's belief systems, they say, you can't speak the truth in that area because it doesn't exist. Richard Dawkins, who is a famous atheist, he once wrote, my passion is for scientific truth. And I don't care, I don't much care about good and evil. He says, I care about what's true. Now, as Christians, we need to be really careful here because Christians are not against science. In fact, I'm very thankful for science. As I look at my family just over the last few weeks, my my dad would not be here any longer if it weren't for medical science. I'm, I'm thankful for science. But what some people do is they they take scientific truth and they go too far with it and they ultimately say that that the only truth that exists is that which can be observed and measured, that which is empirical. And so because of that, there, there is no spiritual truth. There is no real ethical truth. All that there is is scientific truth. And if science can't observe it, verify it, uh, then it's not really truth. It's just something else out there. Nietzsche, the philosopher, had a little bit of a different take on it. He said there are no facts only opinions. On another occasion, he said, what are man's truths? Merely his irrefutable errors. And so his his philosophy was a little bit more of what we call postmodern, whereas the uh, Dawkins philosophy is a little bit more of what we call modernism. And and the postmodern idea is that ultimately there is no universal truth. There, is, there are no moral absolutes, but what there are is there are opinions. You have your opinion, I have my opinion, and no one should value his or her opinion over the other, and no one should dare say that my opinion is truth. And so what may be true for you may not be true for me, and what may be true for me may not be true for you. And ultimately, it, it results in a live-and-let-live type mentality, you know, whatever you believe, that's good. Hey, it's all good. It's true for you. It's all, it, we're good. We don't have truth. All we have is opinions. Now, there's another individual that lived who spoke the truth. Uh, you may have heard of him. His name was Jesus. And Jesus spoke of truth in very absolute ways. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. 
So Jesus, whenever he talked about truth, he positioned himself as the truth. I'm the truth. Whenever you see me, you see truth. Uh, Whenever you see me, you can verify, if you want, this is what spiritual truth is. This is what ethical truth is. This is what the creator that designed you intended. Trivia question for you. What language did Jesus say Satan speaks? Now, some would say that Satan's native language is politics. And some men would say that Satan's native language is shopping. And some ladies would say that Satan's native language is snoring. But uh, Jesus said in John 8, 44, that the native language of Satan is to lie. He speaks in the opposite of truth. One of the distinctives of our Christian faith is that truth has been personified in Jesus. And so as Christians, we don't just just follow a set of teachings. We follow a Savior in whom and through whom we find truth. Make sure you download that, that one of the distinctives of our faith is that truth has been personified in our Savior, and the call of Christianity is to believe in the Savior, and then it is whenever we believe in the Savior that the truth becomes a living reality in our own lives. Now, here's here's the third question. So in a world filled with anger and truth decay, what is a Christian to do? Well, the first thing that we are to do is we are to speak the truth in love rather than speaking the truth in anger. If you go back up in chapter 4 to verse 15, hopefully you still have your Bible open. If you go back up to verse 15, the Scriptures said, but speaking the truth in love... Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Now, that verse was written in the middle of a section about Christian unity. And so within the church, there is to be a unity in Christ. And one of the ways that we find that unity is we speak the truth of Christ in love so that we might grow as individuals into Christ who is ultimately our head. Well, now again, we see verse 25, which says, since you put away lying, speak the truth. Earlier in the chapter, we're told, speak the truth in love. In verse 25, we're told, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. And then immediately, he writes, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Is anger a sin? Now, the Scripture here makes a differentiation. It says, be angry and do not sin. Uh, Anger is really, in a lot of ways, a a natural human emotion. There are times where you feel anger, just like you might feel sadness, just like you might feel happiness. There are times whenever you feel anger, and there are times whenever anger is, is justified. If somebody invades my home to try to hurt my children, 
I'm going to go ballistic. Literally, I'm going to go ballistic, okay? I'm going to be angry because I, I, have a, I have a duty as a parent to defend my home and, and to provide protection for my children. And certainly, we also believe that God provides that protection as well. Jesus got angry whenever he saw people making a mockery of God in the temple. Whenever he saw people taking advantage of others in the temple and refusing to allow the Gentiles into their area of worship, Jesus got angry and he cleansed the temple. At the same time, we need to remember that anger can lead to sin. How does anger lead to sin? Well, whenever we allow it to move in to our home, whenever it starts sitting in your lazy boy, and it grabs a hold of that remote control, and it eats out of the refrigerator. Anger has moved in. Whenever anger invades your computer screen, and everything that you read is dripping with anger, and as you read it, you become more and more angry yourself. Whenever you allow anger to flow through your earbuds, and instead of being a reactive emotion to an intense situation, anger becomes just someone that you are. And it begins to grow roots and you become a bitter person. And the sun goes down and the sun comes up and you're still angry day after day after day. Whenever you speak the truth in love, you're seeking to help the other person. You're saying words, they may even be difficult to hear, but you're saying them with a heart that, that loves the other person and seeks to help them. But whenever you speak the truth in anger, the ultimate motivation within you is to destroy the other person, destroy their thought patterns, destroy who they think they are, tear them down. Whenever you speak the truth in love, it promotes unity. It promotes healing, reconciliation, forgiveness. Whenever you speak the truth in anger, it promotes division, separation. It leads to a fracturing of the relationship. Whenever you speak the truth in love, it exalts Christ and it humbles me. But whenever you speak the truth in anger, it belittles Christ and it exalts me. So in a world that is full of truth decay, I want to encourage you to speak the truth. I want to encourage you to speak the truth faithfully, speak it courageously. But when you speak it, may it be wrapped in love rather than dripping with anger. What's a Christian to do? Well, the Bible also teaches us that we are to live differently than others. If you look at verse 27, the Bible says, And don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. And no foul language is to come from your mouth but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. 
Some of you need to take verse 29 and put it on the refrigerator because you struggle in this area. The Bible says no foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need. Now, I also want to remind you that foul language is not just cursing, swear words, whatever you want to call them. Foul language can be language that is driven by anger, language that tears others down. It's language that is absent of love. And the Scripture says that we ought to speak that which is good in order to build up someone that is in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Now, if you've listened to me preach very long, you know that I often say that Christianity is not about behavior modification but heart transformation. But we should also note that when Christ changes your heart, your life is never the same. When Christ invades you, when Christ changes you from the inside out, it will result in a new you. You live differently. Your attitudes are different. You see the world differently. And so in a world that is dripping with anger, I encourage you, to wear verse 29. Lord, help me today that no foul language will come out of my mouth, but only that which is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And let me encourage you to extend verse 29 to your family, to those little kids that sometimes frustrate you. What is good for building up someone in need? so that it gives grace to those who hear. What's a Christian to do? Well, there's a third thing. Remember who you are. Remember who you are in Christ. My daughters have been doing Taekwondo for a couple years now. Uh, One of our church members, Jack Hornbuckle, has a school here in the area, and so he's graciously been their teacher. They've reached the point now where they are a red belt. Now, if you know anything about it, red belt is one belt below black belt. So you better be careful with those girls. They may be dainty, but but they're, they're approaching dangerous. And so they're in this new class now is when they got to red belt. Where, where they have to spar. You know, they put on all their pads and they literally spar and fight. Anyway, they, they spar. And they're in the class now with the black belts. And so as we were getting ready for our first class, my girls were like just nervous. They were like, Dad, I don't want to go. I'm scared. I'm like, why are you scared? They're like, well, there's going to be black belts in there. I'm like, but you're a red belt. And they're like, but yeah, they're black belts. And in their mind, they didn't realize who they are. They didn't realize that they've been working hard and that they had gotten to this point where now they belonged in that class themselves. And I had to remind them, don't forget who you are. This is where you belong. Well, in, in this world, I, I find that Christians often get scared. We get angry. We get apathetic. We're, we're afraid to engage. We're, we're scared to talk to people about our beliefs. And I think sometimes we just forget who we are in Christ. We lose our confidence because we forget who we are. Verse 30 says, and don't grieve. God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. 
and all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now, I want you to notice three things before we end today from these last verses. The first is that, yes, there's a lot of truth decay in our world, but God has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as a believer, you need to tune your soul into the voice of God's Spirit because God's Spirit will speak to you. He will speak to you in the gentleness of your soul. He will also speak to you through His Word. Sometimes He might speak to you through fellow believers. And the Holy Spirit will guide you, will give you strength, and will help you navigate through the world in which you live. Also remember that He has given you a Holy Spirit who seals you in Christ until the day of redemption. Now, I have been coming back to this passage over, or this idea over and over and over again this year. It's one of the things that I feel like God has really impressed upon me. If you want to grow spiritually, you have to develop your theology of hope. And for you to grow spiritually, your theology of hope has to go beyond the hundred-year window in which you live your life here on earth. Most of the time when we speak of hope, we're hoping for a better tomorrow. We're hoping for a healing. We're hoping for a new job. We're hoping for a financial windfall. We're hoping for a better tomorrow. And we don't think of hope in the eternal perspective because we're so focused on the here and now. Well, I think that hope for a better tomorrow is valid. And I encourage you, as Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane, to come to God transparently and bring your request to the Heavenly Father. But if you want to grow spiritually, you have to extend your hope beyond your lifetime. And you have to begin realizing that the blessed hope that is spoken of over and over and over again in Scripture is linked to eternity with God in heaven. That there is a hope that transcends this life, there is a hope that the injustices of this world will be redeemed. There is a hope that the fracture that is around us in this creation will once again be healed whenever Christ comes again. And there is life beyond what we can see and feel and touch and prove. There is life eternal in Christ. So do not forget who you are. And do not forget that your life goes beyond these years and this place. That as a child of God, you live forever with Christ. And as a child of God, even though there is a lot that is not right in the world today, there will be a day of redemption when God flexes His divine strength. And He restores things. So because we have hope, there's really no need to live angry all the time. If you don't have this eternal hope, you're going to be really, really angry because there's all this injustice. 
You've got to extend it. Whenever you extend it, you can grow. Because then you start seeing life beyond the here and now. And then God's able to drain that anger because you realize that that God's bigger than you. You realize that God is in control, that He hasn't forgotten about you, and that He's he's got this under control. And that's whenever whenever the, the shouting and the slander and the bitterness and the anger and the malice can just be drained from you whenever you rest in the hope of the day of redemption. Now, one final thing to take from that last section, and then we'll be through. Let's extend to others the same kindness and compassion that God has extended to us. Has there ever been a time in your life when you experienced God's forgiveness? Has there ever been a time in your life when you experienced God's grace? Grace is not something for you to hoard. Grace is something for you to extend to others as well. There are some in this room today that are handcuffed by bitterness. You're not living your life today because you're angry. And I want to encourage you to release that anger, to ask God to drain it from your soul. I want to encourage you to live life beyond just what you can see today and trust in your Lord because in Him there is truth that lasts a lifetime and an eternity. Trust in Him. And if you're here and you've never experienced the forgiveness of God in your own life, my prayer for you today is that this will be your day. This will be your day whenever you experience salvation. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? Paul alluded to this earlier in the service whenever he read the passage of Scripture. But if there's never been that time in your life when you've bowed the knee before God and cried out to Him, I want to encourage you to make this your moment where you embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Just call out to God and admit to Him that you have sinned. Place your faith in Jesus. Jesus, you're my Savior. You're my Lord. I I trust in you, not myself. And commit your life to following Him from this point forward. If today is your moment, whenever you become a believer in Christ, I want to know about it. I want to be a pastor to you, an encouragement to you. So I'd ask you to let me know. I'll be here at the front during this next song. I'll be here after the service as well. Please let me know. Now, church, as we sing this hymn, we call it a time of commitment. It's not a formality. It's a time where we respond to what we've seen in the Word. If you need to pray today, I I encourage you to come forward and pray here at these steps. Spend some special moments with God. Maybe there's a life change that needs to take place, and as we've looked at the Scriptures today, God has convicted you. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to think ill of you. But mark this moment in time. Come and kneel here in prayer at the front and say, God, some things need to change. There may be somebody sitting around you that you know 
is going through a difficult time and you just feel led to pray with them. You have freedom in the Spirit to do that. And others might want to sing the hymn with Paul and worship our Lord. Father, we thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for these truths that we have seen today. There are times whenever we study the Word of God where it scrapes our heart. Sometimes it can be hard to receive, but we know that it is good. We know that you are loving. And we pray, Father, that you might change us from the inside out and that our lives might reflect you more and more in everything that we do and everything that we are. I pray, Father, for those that might be gripped by anger today, that you will drain it from their soul, that they will be a new creation in Christ, that they will be able to live in the grace and the hope that you have extended to them. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.